we're down to 40 to 50,000 cases a day and around 400, 350 to 400 deaths per day. Even though that's much better than we were before, it is still an unacceptably high number of deaths per day. That's like one and a half jumbo jets each day crashing and people saying, well, you know, it's okay to get on a plane and fly. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Silgado. And that was today's guest, Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and the chief medical advisor to President Biden. Next month marks two years since the first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine were administered in New York City. At that point, New Yorkers had spent close to a year separated from loved ones, quarantined and working from home, or risking their lives as essential workers. We postponed weddings, dialed into Zoom Thanksgiving celebrations, and canceled travel. We washed our groceries and bought masks. We also lost family members, friends, and neighbors. Then, in December of 2020, a nurse in Queens named Sandra Lindsay became the first person in the nation to get the COVID-19 vaccine. I would like to thank all the frontline workers, all my colleagues who've been doing a yeoman's job to fight this pandemic all over the world. I am hopeful, I feel hopeful, I'm relieved. I feel like healing is coming. I hope this marks the beginning to the end of a very painful time in our history. A few months later, the vaccine was available to our at-risk neighbors, but was in such high demand that many found it impossible to get a dose. We decided to take matters into our own hands and started making the first of what would become thousands of appointments for those in need. But now we're seeing a different problem. The COVID-19 vaccine is readily available, but fewer and fewer New Yorkers are getting shots. Today, Dr. Anthony Fauci sits down with Jeannie Pinder, founder and CEO of Clear Health Costs, a partner with Epicenter NYC in the Vaccine Equity Partner Engagement Grant Program with the Fund for Public Health of New York City. The two discuss the slow rollout of booster doses. Before we continue, a quick message from our sponsors. Experience the official playlist to Onyx Collective's hit series, Reasonable Doubt, Featuring music by Jay-Z, SWV, Outkast, Alice Smith, and more, right on Spotify. Just search for Reasonable Doubt official playlist or click the link in our show notes. Also, keep an eye out for the original score by Adrian Young and Ali Shaheed Mohammed, available on November 4th. Now, back to the show. Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci and Jeannie Pinder. If we wanted to encourage vaccine uptake, what are the best ways to fight against this pandemic is over messaging? Well, I think it's by getting correct information out there. I mean, it's understandable that people want to put the outbreak behind us. Everyone is fatigued with this almost three-year journey that we've all been through, a very difficult journey. I think it's the question of doing what you and I are doing right now and what so many people are doing is by getting people to understand the reality of where we are. We're doing much better now 
than we were several months to a year ago when we were getting 800 to 900,000 infections a day nationally and three to 4,000 deaths. We're far lower than that now. We're down to 40 to 50,000 cases a day and about 400, 350 to 400 deaths per day. Even though that's much better than we were before, it is still an unacceptably high number of deaths per day. That's like one and a half jumbo jets each day crashing and people saying, well, you know, it's okay to get on a plane and fly. Well, you know, not so. It's the same thing here is that there are many things that we need to do and we've got to stay out there. You and I and everybody else telling people you don't want to panic, but you don't want to be cavalier and say it's all over and we don't need to do anything because there are things we can do, particularly getting the unvaccinated people vaccinated and getting people who are vaccinated and not yet boosted to go get their boost, particularly since we have a very good updated bivalent boost that's directed against the major variant that's out there. So there's a lot of things we can do. Great answer. Here's a question. The administration has relied on pharmacies for much of the vaccine rollout and will continue to do so. Have you given thought to allowing walk-ups or methods of scheduling that are not tethered to their online scheduling systems? We have seen with our van on a street in Queens that there are a lot of cases in our immigrant neighborhoods of people who are turned away and told to go register on a site or encountering limited hours at these sites with onerous work schedules as essential workers, perhaps? Yeah, there is a, a major effort which... President Biden actually initiated uh, the day before yesterday when we were down at the White House with him at the time that he got his booster shot. We spoke to the CEOs of four major pharmacies speaking about what they can do to be more flexible. First of all, they're doing a good job, as you mentioned. I mean, a lot of what we're getting done is getting done through the pharmacies. So they are really very important in our effort. But the president was encouraging them to do even more, to be more flexible in allowing people to more easily get vaccinated, as well as a number of other efforts in the community, like you said, to make sure we do it in a user-friendly way. And that's really the bottom line answer. It's got to be done in a user-friendly way so that people don't have to jump through hoops to go get a vaccine. We've got to make it as easy as possible. So we're very aware of it, and the president himself is promoting that. So I think it's going to improve. I hope you're right. So why are white people now the largest unvaccinated group? In New York City, we also continue to struggle in some parts with young Black men not being vaccinated. And what becomes of the unvaccinated in this next version of the rollout? Well, this is a reflection, unfortunately, of the political divisiveness we have in our country. Because if you look at the map of the country and look at the red states versus the blue states, the red states, which are Republican states, are much more under-vaccinated than the blue states. And as you know, the demography of the red states in the Republican areas are predominantly white individuals. And whereas it's not the case if you look at the blue states, so it should never be that person is vaccinated or not vaccinated on the basis of their political ideology. But that seems to be the case. And that's just 
not an opinion, it's an unfortunate reality. And that's why we would like very much to get as many people vaccinated as we possibly can, regardless of what their political ideology is, and regardless what their race, ethnicity, or gender, whatever it is, they need to get vaccinated. Right. So on that line, we hear that the vaccine soon will no longer be free, that people will be charged for them. That puts yet another barrier between people and vaccines when we already have resistance, even with free vaccines. So how does that square with good public health policy? Well, I mean, you know, it's a necessity. You're going to have to switch over to commercial sometime. And the decision was to do it now. But as you know, also with that, there's been a big push on the part of the government to make sure insurances cover that and the under or uninsured have some pathway to get that free. So even though it's going to be commercialized, as it were, there's still going to be a lot of avenues of people getting it either through their insurance or through certain mechanisms for the under or uninsured. I hope you're right. I hope so, too. I think it's going to work, but we'll see. In that vein, we also have heard that the money for testing is running out. We've seen here over and over again, our van, the van that we have on a street corner in Queens had been vaccinating and testing. Now the vaccine money has dried up, so they're not vaccinating. They are testing, but we're hearing a lot of people saying, there's no place to get tested for free. I have to get tested. You're the only place that I can get tested for free. So, so people are finding themselves in a position where they're not getting tested because they have to pay for it. It seems to us to be bad public health policy. Is there it any- is. It, it can be corrected by getting the Congress to give the resources that the president is asking for. And again, another point he made in his briefing at the time of his booster vaccination a couple of days ago, that- We are running out of money to do the things we need to do at the community level, including free testing, as well as a variety of other services that we formerly had enough resources for, but we need now to get relief from the Congress to appropriate money that the administration is asking for. Is Congress going to do that? I hope so. I hope to hear our conversation. There's also a lot of uh, mixed messages on masking. We think that masking should actually be something that's more pervasive. And we've noticed that people are starting to ask for masks again. As the surge comes on, people are more willing to wear masks, but there's still mixed messaging on that. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, the, the message shouldn't be mixed. It's that masks are generally not required or mandated, but under certain circumstances, they're recommended. So that if you are in a congregate indoor setting and you are in an area where there is clearly a higher degree of infection dynamics, it is recommended you wear a mask. If you are a vulnerable person or you live in a household with a vulnerable person, even if the level of infection is not high, you might want to go the extra step to protect yourself and members of your family. What people get confused about is what's required, what's mandated. We're not talking mandates. That's a radioactive word for so many people. We're talking about common sense. So if you're an elderly person, you have an underlying condition, you have someone at home who's on cancer chemotherapy, 
if you're in a crowded indoor place, wear a mask. It makes good sense. Is that a clear enough message? I don't think people are hearing you. Every, every place I go in public, I'm like one of 5% of people wearing masks. Right. Last question. So why do you think that long COVID has been lost in the national conversation? Well, I, it hasn't been lost in the conversation that we at the White House and the president's team is talking about. We're very well aware of long COVID. We have a number of programs one led here at the NIH, our recover program, one at the CDC, and the Assistant Secretary for Health, Rear Admiral Rachel Levine, is a major player in the activities in long COVID. It is right at the very top priority. There's about seven to 20 million people in this country who've been infected, who have persistence of symptoms for several weeks to months beyond the acute infection. And of those, one million of those people are incapacitated enough so that they cannot work. So we're very well aware of that. The public may not be talking a lot about it, but we certainly are very well aware of it. I don't think the public is talking about it. I want to thank you very much for, for your time. You're welcome. Nice talking to you. Do you need help getting your COVID vaccine or booster shot? Let us know. You can call us at 917-818-2690, email us at vaccine at epicenter-nyc.com, or fill out our intake form linked to in our show notes. Before we go, our new weekly update on MPV in New York City. Make sure to stay tuned for the latest information on vaccine, testing, care options, and much more. Hi, I'm Sam Zacker, back with this week's New York City MPV update. Last week, we went over how to clean safely if you do have the virus. If you want to learn more, make sure to listen to our episode published October 26th. Today, I'll be going over what to consider when getting the Genius vaccine along with other vaccines. As a reminder, the Genios vaccine is recommended for people who may have recently been exposed to MPV or may be in the future. It's approved for the prevention of both MPV and smallpox. Right now, many of us are due for our COVID-19 booster shots as well as our flu shots. But is it safe to get multiple vaccines around the same time? For many people, there are no risks involved in getting a COVID-19 or flu vaccine and MPV vaccine at once. But it's important to note that people at increased risk of myocarditis, particularly males ages 12 to 39, may want to consider waiting four weeks between getting the Genios and COVID-19 vaccine. This is because there is a rare risk of developing myocarditis after COVID-19 vaccination. And while Genio's clinical trials did not show an increased risk of myocarditis following vaccination, it is possible that there is a risk. That being said, if you know that you are recently exposed to MPV, you should not delay getting the Genio's vaccine, even if you recently got a COVID-19 vaccine. You can also get the Genio's vaccine at the same time as most other vaccines including the flu, HPV, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, meningococcal, and shingles. Thanks for listening. Join us weekly for more news and information on MPV in New York City. Keep in mind that things are changing quickly, so if you have any specific questions or need help making a vaccine appointment, reach out to us directly at vaccine at epicenter-nyc.com or call 917-818-2690. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. 
and thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.